3: Cressa in Tyson, Virginia. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-hosts, Ellie Morris, Cressa, Jim Morgan, People Stretch Solutions, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Chris Sutton, Bean Kinney, Sterling Neblet, Centurion Wealth Management, Gabe Muller, Muller Consulting, and Katie Brewer. Katie, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air today, please?
4: We have Angela Mitchell, President and CEO of Case Management Consulting, Scott Gordon, President of Data Prize; Steve Fredkin, CEO of Antiva and Luann Brosman CEO and founder of Government Marketing University
3: Let's get to know our first guest Angela Mitchell president and CEO of Case Management Consulting Angela what is Case Management Consulting
5: It's a business process automation company focusing on the intelligence community
3: And how large or how small is this firm
5: 25 people and 3.5 million
3: Uh-huh and how did you get a job with the company
5: I started it
3: Oh uh, where are you from originally?
5: I'm from Arlington, Virginia.
3: How many brothers and sisters?
5: I have two older brothers.
3: Two older brothers. Okay. Gabe.
6: Angela, what kind of uh, sports were you playing from 8 to 14?
5: Um, I played basketball and baseball, and I was the first girl to play on an Arlington um, all-boys basketball and baseball team.
6: Wow. How how did that uh, impact you?
5: Um, it definitely made me feel like I could do anything and um, could beat any boy. <laughs>
6: And uh, if I recall, in the green room, you mentioned that you were the captain. Uh,
5: I well, so I, I started on the team, so right. I was pretty good. Yeah, decent. Uh-huh. <laughs>
3: you start, You were the starter on the team. Uh,
2: Jim? <laughs> so what did your dad do?
5: Um, my dad was an auditor at the National Science Foundation. He was the first black auditor, actually.
2: First black auditor. So you told us a little bit of a story about him getting that job.
5: Yes. So actually, um, he had bad handwriting, and back then um, you had to handwrite your application, and he wrote uh, Howard University, but the um, interviewer started at Harvard University, so that's how he got the job.
2: So you mentioned that uh, that you picked up things from your dad. So I'm curious, like, what did you learn from your dad that you bring to work today?
5: Um, definitely, I would say he, he didn't want me to use um, being an African-American and being a woman as a crutch. And um, always told me to do my best and never look at an environment going into it and thinking you weren't able to do it because of your current posture.
7: Did
8: what, did, get, he, mm-hmm. what did he do to implement that into 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 your being into
5: um I would say definitely with the sports and getting me onto the all boys um Arlington Optimist team um I would say also he um he encouraged me to um, you know do all that was possible in in work and in, in business
9: mm-hmm.
8: and, and aside and in addition to that what kind of environment did you grow up in with your mom and dad in terms of you talked a little bit about the open-door policy. Yeah,
5: so growing up, um, we had open-door policy. We could tell our parents anything, no judging environment. Um, you know, they gave us uh, great guidance and then expected us to be able to implement them um, smartly. And so with friends and everything, I, I always kind of had the clear head and always felt comfortable to... Um, to go to them, which is why I now kind of implement that at work.
8: Okay. And yeah, how, do you, how do you implement that at work?
5: Um, so so in interviewing people, I get to know them, and I make them feel comfortable sharing my experiences as well so that they feel comfortable coming to me to tell me the truth or um, building integrity um, and for them to feel like it's a no-judging environment.
10: Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking a lot about being in a comfortable environment. Describe the first time you were in an uncomfortable environment.
5: Um, I would say, you know, a young 16-year-old at the Marine Corps, I, I worked at, uh, for the Department of Defense at 16 years old um, in the Marine Corps records branch, and they kind of threw me papers to make copies. Um, and then being able to get a voice and say, you know what, um, I'm going to build a database for you guys so that you can start tracking this stuff, as opposed to just going and making copies. Were you paid extra for that? Uh, no, I was not paid extra Why did you bother doing it? Um, because I saw inefficiencies in the process. And um, it, it didn't make sense for, for us to do that and have to keep repeating something over and over. Um, and so that was the first time really I started identifying that there's several inf- ine- inefficiencies.
10: How does that translate into who you are today?
5: Um, so today, you know, I definitely like to give back as well with my company. That's why I started the company as business process automation and, um, and records management. So my mom was a records manager for Marine Corps, so. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, Katie?
4: Tell me a little bit more about your friends uh, growing up and what was your role with your group of friends?
5: So I was the level-headed person, and, um, you know, I would, you know, step out of the room if was, they were doing something that, you know, I didn't agree with. I was not a follower. I was a leader for sure. Um, and and being comfortable, um, uh, they, they looked at me as it uh, looked up to me, I think.
4: How did you learn that role?
5: Um, I definitely think it would be my mom. My mom had a large role in that. Um, and and building that open environment with her staff and her people, and 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 being friends with her staff, and for them to feel comfortable to talk to them.
3: So you you have uh, pretty clear boundaries. Yes. And as opposed to going along with the crowd in terms of getting into trouble or whatever it was, didn't you feel a little awkward telling your friends you didn't want to do certain things so you, that I mean, you wouldn't be cool or anything like that? <laughs>
5: No, I, I didn't have any problem doing that because I didn't want to end up in jail <laughs> or, or um, the repercussions for it. And, you know, I think that my friends respected that. I didn't, didn't impose it on them that they had to do it, but I definitely had clear boundaries that, you know, didn't, I didn't feel comfortable uh-huh. with. Chris?
4: So you mentioned that uh, you started your business in 2016. Did something happen that kind of triggered you to do that?
5: Yes, actually, my dad passed away from um, battling cancer for 17 years, um, prostate cancer, and so um, in 2015. And in the last two weeks with him, he told us how much um, uh, he he wanted to make sure we took risk. And he said, um, "You know, I took risk. I lived a full life, and I want you all to be able to say the same thing." So, so at that point, I decided.
3: So you decided what?
5: I decided to take the risk and the leap. I've been thinking about starting my own company and kind of was holding back. And so that's what, what gave me that push.
3: What gave you the push?
5: My dad saying that I need to take the risk and, um, and don't look back in, in, on your life and think, you know, I could have done something else.
6: Gabe? So clearly your father was a, a massive role model for you. Yes. Uh, were there any other role models in your life outside of your family?
5: Um, yes, actually I would say, since I was big in sports, um, Michael Jordan. And what I loved about Michael Jordan wasn't just that he was the best basketball player, but that he made the team members around him be good. So people like who coach, who on their own might not have been great, um, but he took extra time to work with them in the gym to kind of build a team environment and, and, and that you're not the only one that, that can uh, make the team good. You have to enforce that your team around you is making it good.
2: So Angela, you said that uh, you have learned a lot from your dad, but you also said you learned most of your business from your mom. So talk about that.
5: Yeah, so um, my mom is the one who got me the first job at the uh, Marine Corps uh, when I was 16. And so we were working in nearly in the same office. She was the Marine Corps uh, records manager. And so um, records management and how she managed her, her team and her people, they all looked up to her. They worked very hard for her because she knew, they knew that she cared about her. And that's where I got caring for my staff as being very important um, and, um, as well as records management because uh, that's a key part in kind of business process automation.
2: So you're continuing to do the work today that you were taught from the very young age. Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. So I, I understand you're uh, <clears throat> pretty driven. Uh, you have boundaries, you're great with people, and uh, you're, you're, you're going to be a successful entrepreneur. I mean, you are a successful entrepreneur. I'm wondering, do you ever uh, give back to the community?
5: Yes. Actually, um, I, this year I just started um, a nonprofit called Kids Code 2. So a lot of my company focuses on software development and um, looking in underprivileged schools. And trying to teach kids at an early age, at the third to fifth grade range, of how to code and the art of the possibility and building computers.
3: Why? Why third to fifth grade? Why?
5: Um, Because that's when SOLs start usually, um, standards of learning, and um, computer science standards of learning is actually was just implemented in Virginia in 2018. Um, and teachers aren't equipped to, to, to support that yet. And so I want kids at an early age at these schools to know what the art of the possibility is and to get excited early.
3: Well, why, do you, why do you want kids involved with that stuff?
5: Um, well, so I have a tough time hiring software developers because they just aren't out there. And I think if I tap into a market of kids that wouldn't normally go that route and, and pick that at an early age, then I'll get them excited about it early. And so hopefully there will be a larger... Um, amount of people to to be in the it field
3: so you know growing up black and a woman back then might have been uh, difficult and crippling to you it sounds like it energized you
5: it did i, I get excited I, I love i love doing things that people when looking at me at first don't think that's possible
3: uh-huh what's the uh, what's the website address of case management consulting angela
5: uh it's casemc c a s e m c dot com
3: let me have that one more time
5: C-A-S-E-M-C.com.
3: We've been speaking with Angela Mitchell, who's president and CEO of Case Management Consulting here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. That's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name and organization is...
9: Mindy Lyle with Alpha Corporation.
3: And Mindy, what's your role at Alpha Corporation? Director
9: of Business Development.
3: And where are you from originally?
9: Lafayette, Louisiana.
3: And tell me a little bit about how young were you when you were business developing?
9: Probably about 12, 13 years old. I started doing fundraisers for the American Heart Association. What do you mean
3: you were doing fundraisers? What are you talking about?
9: Well, at school we had Jump Rope for Heart and all kinds of other games that people would contribute Dollars and pennies and quarters, then, mm-hmm. and um, we collected money for the so hardest. What was assistants. your role in that? I put it all together.
3: What do you mean you put it all together?
9: Organized it, got the kids interested, got the school to support it. Mm-hmm. What's that have to do with business development? Business development's connecting dots. What are you talking about? What do you mean? You connect people, you connect organizations, you connect strategies, all for a common goal. Oh.
3: Ah, give me that again. Give me the, so you're telling me that that personality trait of business development showed up when you were a young girl helping organize these fundraisers, these nonprofit fundraisers. So business development could be for nonprofit as well as for-profit.
9: Business development can be for anything. It can be for community organizations. It can be for-profit companies. It can be for neighborhoods.
3: What do you enjoy about business development? Isn't business development selling?
9: It's not selling, it's it's connecting people, it's strategic, it's planning, it's being in charge of the final outcome.
3: Being in charge of the, so you really like responsibility, huh?
9: I do. Huh. I've always been in charge.
3: And what's the website address of this organization?
9: Alphacorporation.com. Let me have
3: that one more time.
9: Alphacorporation.com.
3: And your name again is?
9: Mindy Lyle.
3: And what's your role there?
9: Director of Business Development. Of
3: Alpha Corporation. This is uh, this has been your business spotlight. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name and organization is?
0: Wendy Ann Payne with Centurion Wealth Management.
3: And uh, w- w- what is Centurion Wealth Management? What are you guys doing, Wendy Ann?
0: We provide full-service financial planning and also uh, investment management, wealth management, for people uh, to maximize their resources and find pi- financial peace of mind.
3: How young were you when you were uh, when you were playing financial planner?
0: Um, I, this came to to be revel- relevant in my life when I was in elementary school age. My parents were divorced. My mother was terrible with money, and my father was top secretive about money.
3: Go ahead. So, what happened to your role in the family?
0: Um, there was a lot of bickering back and forth. I became the protector and sort of facilitator for my sister and I, and later the step siblings. And I just I took a lot of notes and listened and observed. Watched my grandmother rescue my mother financially time and time again. Um, Watched poor decisions be made on on the side of my father's side of the family. And I just took a lot of notes and that's not what I'm going to do when I grow up.
3: Uh huh. As opposed to what do you want to do when you grow up?
0: Wanted to teach people. I wanted to teach people about finances. I wanted to learn about finances and help people understand how they relate to their money so they can make better choices.
3: How people, what are you talking about relate to their money? What are you talking about?
0: Everyone has an emotional relationship with their money.
3: Yeah. Some people
0: are emotional spenders, some people are uh, emotional savers, some people are fearful of money and what they don't know, and they're fearful of what may come tomorrow or may not come tomorrow.
3: So you really get to know your clients, don't you? Absolutely. You really are a trusted advisor.
0: I like to think so, yes. Yeah, why'd
3: you just smile when I said that?
0: (laughs) I don't like taking credit. Um, uh-huh.
3: Yeah, it's because you truly are if I, I I see that all over you. Wow, you're really proud about what you do. What's the website address of your organization?
0: Centurionwealth.com. How
3: do you spell that?
0: C-E-N-T-U-R-I-O-N wealth.com. We've
3: been speaking with Wendy and Payne Founding Partner of Centurion Wealth Management back in a moment right after this break. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Scott Gordon, president of Dataprize. Scott, what is Dataprize? What are you guys doing?
11: Uh, Dataprize is an outsourced managed IT services company that focuses on providing everything from help desk support to chief technology officer and cybersecurity support for how large about how 600 small? companies across the country.
3: How large or how small is the team?
11: 300 employees full-time uh, employees and, and about 50 million in revenue all right and uh, how'd you get a job there well I actually was really good friends with the founder's well, you were the first you
3: were the first uh, you were the first employee there, back first in 96 that's 24 years ago yes, where you from
11: originally uh, Potomac Maryland
3: and how many brothers and sisters do you have
11: I have one older brother and two older sisters
3: so you're the youngest of four and when you were a kid what kind of sports did you play?
11: I played tennis, I played baseball, and I was a big skier.
3: Uh-huh. What was your favorite sport?
11: Well, I played a lot more baseball uh-huh. than skiing. What was
3: your role on the team? I was a catcher. And uh, why do you like being the catcher?
11: I liked not being bored, and I liked to be involved in every play.
3: Ah, what's that have to do with your role now as president of this organization known as Data Prize, which is 300 people?
11: I run the company, and, and one of the things that has kept me there is the ability to really have the keys to the castle and to manage the team and, and manage what goes on on a day-to-day basis. So you really
3: enjoy the day-in day, out, day in and day-out catching, the being aware of everything, making sure you're in the middle of it all. I do. On top of it all. I do. All right. Haley, what do you
11: got?
8: Um, well, obviously, we've all been watching a lot of baseball this week, and I was the first thing I think about when I see these players is their confidence and ability to perform amazingly under pressure. And wanted to see if that came naturally to you, or if there's something that growing up led to your personality to be that way.
11: I learned it. I I think once skiing was a sport that really taught me how to gain a tremendous amount of confidence because I was able to ski for so long that I became an expert skier, I feel, and and I was able to realize what it takes to be an expert in something and how a quiet mind and being able to just kind of be aware of the present is, is the optimal scenario.
8: And how does that uh, translate into running a business today?
11: Well, I know that living in the moment and, and dealing with situations in the moment is the most optimal versus worrying about the past or the future. And, and I try and share that, that optimism and that vision with my team so they can stay focused.
4: Mm-hmm.
8: And is okay. that living in the moment and, pre- and present, being present can attribute to people being attracted to you and connecting people? And as you said, you were always connecting friends at a young age.
11: Yeah, I, I, I know. I hear a lot of feedback from my employees about they, they like working with me. They like working for me because I, I, I understand what's going on. I understand how cool. to...
6: Gabe? S- Scott, what did you learn by being the youngest of four?
11: Well, growing up, I had a lot of freedom because being the youngest, I was didn't have to go through some things my older sisters and brother did, and, and I also had a lot of freedom because my parents had a boat growing up and they would go to annapolis on the weekend so i I definitely had a lot of alone time and a lot of friends over at my house on the weekends. what
6: was the uh the role that you played when you had your friends over
11: well i i would always invite them over we would always hang out at my house because my parents weren't around so uh, i was i was really social growing up and and i had a really close relationship
3: yeah he was organizing everybody
11: sterling
10: you know, you said your parents weren't around a lot, but tell me more about your relationship with your parents.
11: My mom was a super pro- big protector of me. Uh, my dad was, was pretty hard on me. And so uh, I, I couldn't, um, you know, my dad was was a really hard worker and, and had multiple jobs. He owned his own construction company and, and really pushed us. But um, I had a hard time dealing with some of the, the anger that I would kind of would come at me and so my mom would protect me to the point where my dad couldn't even wasn't allowed to yell at me anymore because I'd get so upset that I would throw up so how's that translated
10: into how you run your business today
11: I don't like anger I I try and and pacify situations because I know whether it's been growing up or my first job at a college that that Anger and, 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 and stress doesn't allow for optimal performance.
4: Tell me a little more about what your father did for a living.
11: He owned a commercial construction company.
4: What did you learn from him about business?
11: I learned that no matter what you do, it's hard work, and, and I almost worked for him. I thought I was going to, um, but that ended up not happening after college. Christine? Oh.
4: Okay, so first hire in 1996, and you're still there and president, then that's a real sense of loyalty and commitment, wouldn't you say?
11: Yes, people ask me all the time, how are you there for 24 years? And and I would say a couple things is, number one, the success that we've had has been rewarding for me, but also the ability to run the company and, and really have the keys to the castle early on has allowed me to um, feel like I'm doing what I want to be doing.
2: Jim? So you said that you were kind of a connector with your friends, and you also mentioned that you're still friends with them today. Is that correct?
11: Yeah, my, my best friends are ones from eighth grade and before.
2: So, again, you're kind of demonstrating that loyalty. You know, what is your role in keeping them together now? My friends or employees? Uh, well, both. Yeah,
11: for my employees, I mean, that—that that is one of the things that I push really hard on a day to day basis is is reaching out and walking around and saying hello to everyone and no matter what role they're in, treating them all the same. And and showing the respect that I want them to give to fellow employees. Uh, my friends, same kind of thing, I I, I like to connect, I like to uh, engage in, in good conversations, I like to kind of be, be close with people.
2: So you're creating the same culture at work that you have amongst your friends.
11: Yes, which is why I enjoy going to work every day, even after 24 years. That's great.
2: So
3: I, I was wondering, um, Scott. You know, you, you've built this business. It's 300 people, 50 million dollars. Did you figure this all out yourself?
11: No, I mean my, my business partner slash boss, David Iser, You know, he founded it, and and he focused on. More of kind of the technology aspect of, of building a, uh, a, an application that runs a lot of our business. More the legal, more the marketing, and and I focus more on the on the the personnel and kind of the the operations. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was a lot of trial and error. And as long as we you know we definitely made mistakes, but as long as mistakes weren't too critical, mm-hmm. where Have we you, could recover. Do you ever bring in anybody
3: from the outside, any advisors, to give you a hand with questions and stuff?
11: Not a lot, but mm-hmm. I would say about four years ago we started working with people stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Jim, who's here today, uh, was actually one of um, our management consultants. But where you, you
3: built a 300-person, $50 million business. What was Jim able to help you with?
11: It is hard sometimes to be very honest with individuals that have changed or aren't performing at a level that I don't really know what's going on with them at home or what's really bothering them. And so we use PeopleStretch and and Jim and and Alex Bartholomus to really help to to get to the bottom, to optimize the people that I knew once were A-performers and maybe have slipped a little bit. So I would ask them to really get to the bottom. Wait wait, a minute,
3: I read in the newspapers and I read in the newspapers that if, uh, I think I read in the newspapers that if you don't do your job, you just get fired. But it doesn't sound to me like that's the way you're building your team. It seems to me that you're trying to do everything you can to figure out what's going on with everybody and how to optimize everybody so that everybody's ending up winning, which is the reason you brought in people stretch.
11: Yeah. I mean, I, I know, especially if I've seen them perform at a higher level at, at some point, then I know it's in them and I know so it's just really about So you really do have this loyalty.
3: The same thing you have with these long-term friendships from your childhood. You really do have a loyalty at the office.
11: Yeah. And employees will all say that they love my loyalty and my ability to connect with them and... And just the style that I have of, of being a good listener and being a big advocate for them.
3: That's not your, what you're reading in the newspapers, though. So you're not going around screaming and yelling at everybody? You're, like, trying to figure out how to get everybody coached so that they can go the next level?
11: I've always gone after having fun. My wife says it, that all I care about is having fun and enjoying life. And, and I, I, I know that that has been a, a big piece kind of our culture. Uh, we've won awards of work hard, play hard and and that is kind of our our motto
3: so you think fun is building a team
11: yes huh how about that i thought work was work well we have to work hard but if you can enjoy it at the same time it makes for an optimal experience for employees. It
3: must and be a great clients. place to work what's the website address for dataprize
11: dataprize.com with an se at the end
3: we've been speaking with scott gordon president of dataprize we'll be back in a moment right after this quick break and your name and organization is?
7: Lowell Nirenberg, mm-hmm. Coach Lowell.
3: And, and what, do you guys, what do you do for a living?
7: I'm an executive leadership coach. I work with CEOs and executive teams.
3: And what do you do for them? What kind of stuff do you do?
7: I help them be better versions of themselves in their role in their companies.
3: So, give me an example of uh, when you're saying executive teams, like the CFO, the COO, are you teaching them numbers? Are you teaching them math and about computers? Or what are you helping them with?
7: Primarily, I'm working with the CEO and then all the members of the executive team. But I have them look at how they can be better than they are right now, what they think they need, mm-hmm. and sometimes what I think they should mm-hmm. want.
3: Uh huh. How young were you when you were uh, when you were playing coach?
7: I don't know. What do mm-hmm. you mean? I don't know. I don't know when I started being a coach, other than well, let me say, I started a computer distribution company. Mm-hmm.
3: Didn't you tell us earlier you thought you wanted to be a therapist when you were a kid? Yeah. Tell us when a little bit a, about that. Mm-hmm.
7: Well, when I was a kid, I had some serious illness at the age of eleven, mm-hmm. and it was bad for five years. Mm-hmm. I had. A psychiatrist Mm -hmm. who helped me through it It Uh was uh, a real challenging Uh part of my life
3: So you thought you got exposed to therapy as a young person Yeah And you really see a benefit to having somebody to talk to Yes Uh Uh-huh Isn't that what you're doing for a living nowadays? Only you're doing it as opposed to with kids You're working with adults that happen to be running businesses
7: Exactly, yes
3: Uh Uh-huh What do you enjoy about what you do?
7: I enjoy the fact that people can Learn about themselves and get insights about Excellent. themselves. What's
3: the website address of your organization? CoachLowell.com. Let me have that one more time. CoachLowell.com. And this has been your Business Spotlight. And your
12: name is? Ramon
3: Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What
12: was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver eight dollars worth of care.
3: And what kind of clinic is this? Who are you who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do?
12: So we're helping out those who are eighteen to sixty four who are uninsured and low income, two hundred percent or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again, give me how that works. So essentially I have a, a staff of twelve individuals and hundred and twenty eight volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver, you know, anywhere from eight dollars uh in care for our patients
3: because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers
12: you're actually keeping the cost of health care down and therefore multiplying the dollars and making one of it one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest and didn't ah uh,
3: interesting so private businesses and individuals can get involved and didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of healthcare care challenges yourself what were
12: they i have i've had four open heart surgeries and mm-hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need what are you talking about what do you mean So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What do you you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, Mm -hmm. parents, Mm -hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them.
3: What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic?
12: Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. you have been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Thank you.
3: In the back, you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Stephen Fratkin, who is the CEO of an organization known as
13: Antiva. Stephen, what is Antiva? Antiva is a managed IT service provider and cloud host. And how large or how small is this organization? A little north of 200 employees and a little north of uh, $40 million. Wow. How'd you get a job with this company? You know, this is all I've ever done. So I started at a very young age uh, at a comp USA where I picked up my first client by accident, and it's grown organically ever since. How young
3: were you when you got that first client?
13: Thirteen years old. And it's, you've been doing this since you were thirteen. Where are you from originally? I grew up in the Rockville, Maryland area.
3: And uh, how many brothers and sisters?
13: Got three half siblings. How
3: come you have three half siblings? Uh, they were from my father's first marriage. Uh huh. So what did growing up
13: with three half-siblings, with dad getting remarried, what
3: what, did that do to you as a kid? It
13: was was interesting because at a very young age, they were all around, and I had felt like I had a pretty large family unit. And then when I was about five or six years old, they all sort of disappeared, whether it was uh, going off to college because of their age or moving back in with their mother. Uh, So I felt a little stranded, but not in a bad way, and I think I realized at that point that I needed to figure out a few things on my own. Like what? What are you talking about? Uh, really, really around who I am and what I need to do to be my own person. Wow, tell me more about that. What do you mean? Uh, really, really trying to know what's important to me and where to spend my time and energy. I, I, I did that at a very young age, and I really wanted to uh, just just work at something and dedicate myself to something, but I wasn't sure what that was yet.
3: Wow, how young were you when you started making money?
13: Uh, Well, depending on how you define money, uh, pretty young, about five or six years old. I I recall collecting pebbles on my street and trying to sell them to my neighbors. Uh, A few of them bit, not all of them, but uh, did sell a few.
3: Sterling?
10: So you started your business at age 13, which is very young. When did you first see yourself as a a true successful entrepreneur? Uh,
13: I don't see myself as a true successful entrepreneur today. Um, I consider myself very lucky and grateful to be in the position that I'm in and ultimately want to work hard every day at learning from the mistakes I make and only making those mistakes once. Wow. Jim?
2: So, you started pretty young at 13, but you said before that you're trying to figure out who you were. So, talk to me a little bit about what you were doing in that 8 to 13, 18 to 14.
13: Uh, So, 8 to 14, I I was uh, not a great student, I was not a social butterfly, but I tried hard at both and found that I was just striking out. Uh, So, I would just, uh, again, try different things until things stuck, and I found myself really passionate about technology, I found that it was cool to play with, and I ultimately found that I enjoyed working with people and how they
2: use that technology. And is that a passion that you still have today? 100%.
13: Mm Mm-hmm. Katie?
4: You mentioned that you had half siblings um, and that you're a product of your parents' second marriage. Are your parents still married?
13: Unfortunately, they're not.
4: Tell me a little bit about that. Uh,
13: My mother uh, separated from my father when I was about 18 years old. Uh, As soon as I became an official adult, uh, that was when uh, she approached me and kind of shared with me that it wasn't the greatest fit for herself. And, uh, you know, I appreciated that she... Uh, waited to that point and really was trying to protect me from something that ultimately I didn't think I needed protection from, but she she did care a lot about me and want to make sure that I Uh, Became an official adult before she separated.
4: Tell me a little bit more about how your mom protected you.
13: Uh, You know My father is a great man who is incredibly brilliant, but also controlling. He knows exactly the way he wants things done and uh, circles uh, people around him that do it in that exact way so she protected me a lot from that and and allowed me to uh, be a little bit of my own person uh, where at the same time Uh, I knew I needed to be my own person. I knew I needed to control uh, my own purse strings, if you will, so that I could uh, have my own control and my own uh, path forward.
4: And how does that translate into how you run your business?
13: Ultimately, I believe that people have an ability to grow if they're given the tools and the clarity of what they need to do to be successful. And I feel like my father and my mother both provided that to me at a very young age. Uh, I'm not sure if it was intentional or not, but it definitely uh, came through clearly. What did they provide you? Uh, From my father's side, he was very clear on what I needed to do to make my own rules, which is control my own uh, financial destiny. Uh, And for my mother, she made it clear how important it was to support and help others grow and realize that they need that support from us and that we were fortunate enough to be in a position, uh, mindset and skill uh, where we could impart that on others.
6: Excellent. Gabe? Steven, so clearly at age 13, you were very busy and I'd like to know a little bit about the relationship and reputation you had with your friends.
13: Uh, so at 13, uh, for better or worse, I didn't have many close friends. Uh, I, I just wasn't able to socialize very well. I was very, very focused on technology, and I was just really enjoying going out there and helping people solve problems with this technology, and my focus was really around work and being driven at, at, to, to be the best that I could in what I was doing. So unfortunately, um, uh, my, my friendships fell to the wayside. So
6: how does that affect how you run your business today? It, it really... I, I'm a different
13: person now. I wound up building a business of team members that I would call my friends. Uh, ultimately... Well, every, uh,
3: give me that again. I ended up building a business of team members that I would call my friends. You right. know something special there, because this business has thrived since you were 13. It's 200 plus people now. What are you
13: talking about? So, so what I did was build something with people that shared the same passion that I had. And as a result, it became more than just a working environment, but a place where we all had similar interests and we were all going after the same goal together.
3: That's probably the reason this business has grown the way it has it hasn't, isn't it?
13: Yeah, of course. Very fortunate. Well, it sounds
3: to me like you're the one who pulled it all together. You're the, you, had a con, you, you shared a common vision. You selected the right people. You figured out where everybody fit. You're the master team leader.
13: Uh, I'd say it was the right place at the right time now wearing I'd a red shirt. I'd say
3: you have a lot of talent there.
11: Haley.
8: Um, going back to when you said that your mom waited until you were 18 to tell you that they, your mom and dad were getting divorced. How? Of course, that was a, kind of her to wait and not put that on you when you are in high school, but 18 is a big transition to go into college and you're trying to be a, an adult, but also transitioning into that. So how did that affect you?
13: You know, I I was a little bit unique in so far as it wasn't a big transition year for me because I was already pretty deep in the business that that we continue to run today. Uh, but from a personal perspective, it really taught me that I need to know who I am and what I value the most. So my mother. Uh, really valued protecting me over anything else that she chose from a personal perspective. And I needed to know kind of what it was in my DNA that made me tick, that lit me up. And and ultimately, uh, that came down to my desire to grow people and to, to work with technology. Wow. Christine?
4: So, Steven, you've clearly done so much on your own. Uh, Can you even say that you had any role models in your life? Uh,
13: Yeah, everybody I've worked with has effectively been a role model for me. So, I've done very little on my own. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have many clients over the years that were running big businesses. Some of them were doing incredible things that were having great results. Some of them were doing less incredible things that were not having great results. And I was able to be in in these environments as a trusted advisor and absorb what people were doing right and what people were not, and emulate what was working and and avoid what wasn't.
3: Where'd you get that ability from?
13: You know, I, I, I believe I was just fortunate enough to to have it be ingrained into me. I'm sure it came from the way my parents raised me to make sure that I was really listening to everything that was going around me and ensure that not only was I doing things to benefit myself, but I was listening to others and doing all I could help to help them as well
3: listening to others and helping others as well. Maybe that's the reason you've had friends for so long and you've been able to build a business for up to 200 people. You hear about the CEO being rotten and firing people. It just sounds like your team is a great, your environment's a great environment to work in. What, what's your website address?
13: It's ntiva.com. How do you spell that? N as in Nancy, T is in Tom, I as in Igloo, V is in Victor, A as in alpha.com.
3: We've been speaking with Stephen Fratkin, CEO of NTV here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executivenewsradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break.
14: I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District.
3: And what is the Boston Business Improvement District?
14: We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet. The first satellite. All were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston.
13: How, how old
3: is this organization?
14: We're just, just shy of six years old.
3: How long have you been there? Have you been uh,
14: almost six years as well.
3: Did you found this organization?
14: Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did
3: mm-hmm. you do that?
14: Well, the the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners why,
3: in why, Boston. Why does it turn you on? Why is your gig turn you on?
14: <laughs> people. I mean, we the 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 ability to connect people, and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that we have incredible minds in the washington dc area and Boston is as i said the epicenter for the smartest people in this area so
3: your job you're like the master connector
14: i feel like the mayor of, of ballston the mayor of innovation because that's uh-huh. what's
3: happening so your idea your thought is in order to create more stuff in order to launch more businesses in order to cause more good it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people
14: exactly
3: and you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. oh we
14: love it we love it and simple things just connecting people through events, through art. Uh, through a happy hour
13: mm-hmm.
3: you don't
14: know what's going to come out of that mm-hmm. that's what's
3: exciting so it's all about the people and you're the it uh is. you're the founder of this organization is this a nine to five kind of job oh for hell
14: you? no it's a lot longer uh-huh. than that baby so
3: do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that
14: sure sure
3: let me have the website address of this sure, organization
14: bostonbid.com and, and you can download the boston connect mobile app
3: let me have uh, let me have that website address one more
14: BostonBid.com. time
3: bostonbid.com it's b-a give me the spelling on that
14: B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. b-a-l-l-s-t-o-n-b-i-d.com
3: excellent your name again is tina leone and the name of the organization is the Boston Business Improvement District and this has been your business spotlight back in a moment one help building your business with help from the show's CEOs our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities grow your sales connect you help you raise money all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars and some are available to advise you now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow grow. Assuming you've ser- you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with the unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. To hopefully match you, with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen, and we'd like to introduce Luann Brossman, CEO and founder of Government Marketing University. Luann What is Government Marketing University?
1: Government Marketing University is a collaborative platform marketplace of providing and sharing knowledge for anyone that markets or sells to the U.S. public sector.
3: And uh, where are you from originally?
1: I am from Falls Church, Virginia.
3: How many brothers and sisters?
1: I have two older sisters and a younger brother.
3: Uh So you're the third of four. And let's see, Haley, what what would you like to know?
1: Uh, What what were some activities you were up to between the ages of eight and 14? I was very active. I had a, a very wonderful childhood that involved a lot of activities in the church, um, activities in the school. So I was always, and to this day, I look for things that don't exist where there's a need. So even as a child uh, with the youth group, I noticed that there needed to be more youth activity. So I recommended and put together, along with a lot of help, of course, because it always takes a lot of uh, planning and help, a two-week mission trip. Okay, and, who, and whose idea was that? It was my idea.
3: Yeah, it was your idea and you you pulled, I so said you had an idea and you pulled a team around an idea.
1: Right. I and had a cousin that lived like in North Anything like you're doing Carolina. nowadays?
3: Isn't that what you're doing nowadays? It absolutely
1: up is.
6: Uh-huh. All righty. Uh, Gabe. So you have two older sisters and a younger brother. Uh, tell us about the relationship and the reputation you have with them.
1: We've always had a, a very strong relationship, obviously as children, you know, you, you have food fights. Um, but growing up, I'm very close to all of my siblings and I'm really blessed.
6: So it sounds like you uh, love to connect uh, individuals and how, how is it that you kept your brothers and sisters connected?
1: Yeah, I think that came from my parents. Uh, they very much instilled in us, you know, love your brothers, love your sisters. And we have always been a close family of coming together often, as well as on both sides of my parents, uh, a lot of family reunions. So it's always been just ingrained in me that, family first. Mm
3: -hmm. Sterling?
10: Uh, Tell me a little bit more about your parents and their personalities.
1: Sure. My parents were very loving. um, And instead of telling us things to do, they showed us. So my father was uh, a World War II vet, and he was retired government. And it was always uh, God and country first. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in what I'm doing, I'm helping to give back to the government, Mm -hmm. actually.
10: Was there a role model or an event that has shaped you?
1: Um, I don't think there's one role model. I think I've had a lot of great bosses over the years. did you mention
3: something happened with a fire when you were a kid?
1: Yes, that was a scary time. When I was 10 years old, we had a house fire, and I was in the house watching it happen. So that was a very scary time. My mother was badly burned. Uh, but what I did with that, again, not knowing I was doing this, is I took it to the neighborhood to all of my friends, and we put a plan together, a, a kind of an emergency strategy if that happens. Because I remember all of us kind of running out into the street in circles, not knowing what to do.
3: So, So what did you
1: do? I put together, along with my friends, we met and we put together a strategy. If somebody's house burned down, now that was extreme, but that's what you do when you're ten. Wait a minute, um, right, where right. to go? What to so do? So
3: after this disaster happened to your family, you organized your friends, in so that you put together a plan with your friends. What I we, did. What we hear here is a theme, you know, this fire and organizing the neighborhood so that there was a plan put together, and what happened with the church. So your nature is to come up with ideas and to pull people around ideas. Am I correct
2: about
1: that? That's 100%. I'm Uh the big idea person.
2: Jim? So when was the first time you got the marketing bug?
1: I got the marketing bug probably at the same time because I had to market these ideas. you know. And, And I remember holding, when I was 12, a muscular dystrophy carnival in our backyard where I put marketing signs up all over the neighborhood.
2: So it sounds like it's interesting. You're organizing lots of things, but they're typically things that everybody else gets the value out of. What that, do you think oh, drives that? That's
1: very interesting. You're 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 spot on on that. Um, well, he's I, a good co-host. <laughs> I, yes, he is. Um, I think I, I think I know. I get great enjoyment out of other people's successes.
3: What are you talking about? What do you mean?
1: Well, you think about Government Marketing University. You know, we have one of our programs as a mentor protege, and these proteges that are looking up to their mentors to be better marketers, and at the end of their uh, series, they they know so much more, and they are happy, and they have more energy, and they have a lot more self-confidence in their jobs, and that just gives me great feelings.
3: So um, is it the money that drives you, or what drives you?
1: No, it's not the money. Money is nice. I like to have the money, but it's really the... um, i really get great enjoyment out of coming up with ideas that help people um of networking of connecting people and as i said earlier it it, as simple as it is seeing people become successful
3: give me that again you get great enjoyment from what
1: i get great enjoyment out of coming up with new and different but needed ideas that will help people and make people more successful Huh.
3: So you've been doing this since you were ten, huh?
1: I have. Uh, so this it's is in really my who blood, you this, my DNA.
3: Yeah, this is really who you are, Christine. What are you thinking?
1: So
4: earlier in the green room, you shared a really fun story where you shook things up at a fabric store where you were working. Can you tell us a little bit more <laughs> I sure about did. that?
1: My yes, my first real job uh, was at a fabric store in Tyson's Corner and i was in charge of all of the envelopes of patterns you know patterns for making clothes and it was really boring i was there for a week and i thought something's got to be better here and something different so i again pulled my girlfriends together and we got a lot of help from some mothers we made some of the clothes from the patterns and then my girlfriends would come in for an hour or so at night when i was working which would help keep me company and model the clothes in the front of the store and it was a great success Marketing one hundred and one back in the right, you know, right.
3: So you were working there, early there for so, so you were working there for a week, and you saw again, you saw a better way to do things. Did you get paid extra for doing that?
1: Absolutely not.
3: Well, why'd you do it?
1: It was it. It was fun. It helped the cause.
3: So this was a for-profit business. Your friends that helped you—did they get paid anything? No,
1: they got to hang out and have fun and have a new clothes that one of the mothers made for them.
3: So did the owners it was of the store—what did the owners of the store say to you? I mean, did they realize? That I don't. You, were, you know,
1: honestly, I don't even remember. I got the job because one of my mother's friends worked there. Uh-huh. I don't know that I ever met an owner.
3: So you—so your nature is to look at something and figure out how it could be done better. And that then is correct. Pull people around an idea
1: that That's very accurate as well as doing it process driven marketing, so taking that idea and repeating it where you can
3: so you're looking at something of how you're looking at opportunities of how things can be done better and putting a process around that it, so it can scale itself out That's correct, uh-huh. How frequently do you have idea? Well, let me, uh, I was going to ask you how frequently you have ideas. Maybe the better question is, is there a day that goes by and you don't have an idea?
1: <laughs> there is not. Um, matter of fact, driving in this morning, I came up with an idea and I called one of our editors and, and discussed it with him. So no, I, I think ideas all the time. How it drives you, my husband nuts.
6: How do you handle uh, situations then when ideas can't be executed on quickly?
1: you know i'm okay with that i think that you talk it through with those that you need to talk it through with and you can decide yes it's a smart idea or let's put it on the park we call it the parking lot you know it's putting the Luann's parking lot is what it's called and sometimes they resurface
3: so do you ever talk to folks about ideas where you're not going to make the money but they're going to make the money oh
1: goodness all the time that does drive me a little nuts Yes. why why
3: do you do that
1: um I get pleasure from that. Um, it always comes back. You know, I have another business that was acquired last Wait November, you have, and that's you I get, think part you get, of that. You networking. get
3: pleasure from what?
1: I get pleasure from making things happen.
3: And you had a business. What kind of business got acquired?
1: It was called Virtual Marketing, and I'm still part of it. A full service marketing agency for technology companies that sell to the government. And when I look back, I bought the URL for Government Marketing University in 2007. The same time, the same day, I bought it for Virtual Marketing. So Virtual Marketing was the leading in getting to know everybody, getting that reputation, so that GMarkU is successful. So
3: you're 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 an idea guy. Big time. Uh huh. Constantly.
1: Constantly. Uh huh. With everything.
3: Um, do you ever think you're going to retire?
1: Well, I'm building a retirement home right now, so my husband would like to think so. But I don't see it um, you know, anytime soon.
3: Uh-huh. Why?
1: Why would be I don't think that my brain is capable of turning to mush. I don't want it to turn to mush, right? We've got to keep helping. I don't know that I'll see myself five years from now doing what I'm doing, but I'll definitely be doing something around charity, um, leading my golf organization, being on boards, things like that.
3: So when you're on a team, you're the one who's got another idea, better idea, different idea.
1: Correct. But I will not shut out other ideas either.
3: So you're not looking to dominate with your idea. Correct. You're looking to participate with your idea.
1: Lead the team on an idea, uh-huh. but also foster others that work for me and, and teaching them and mentoring them how to come up with their own ideas, fostering huh. that.
3: So you're, you're like, your middle name's idea. That's true. So you're like, you're a swirl of ideas. you just like, and you just happen to, in order to implement the ideas. It's you called know, busy brain. What's busy brain? What are you talking about? What well, do you, you mean? know,
1: you, you, you all need mindfulness these days. That's actually something we teach at G Mark U. You know, we have a whole track on mindfulness because all of us are tied to our smart devices and our brains are fried. Mm-hmm. So we're teaching mindfulness, which is just as important as everything else we do.
3: What is mindfulness?
1: Slowing down your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I have found is I've learned to listen to understand, not respond.
3: Mm-hmm. What's the website address to this organization known as Government Marketing University?
1: Gmarku.com.
3: We've been speaking with Luanne Brossman, CEO and founder of Government Marketing University. And let's see. Um, Katie, could you give us a rundown on who else we've had on the air today, please?
4: We've had Angela Mitchell, President and CEO of Case Management Consulting, Scott Gordon, President of Dataprize, Steve Fratkin, CEO of Antiva, and Louie Ann Brosman, CEO and Founder of Government Marketing University.
3: I would like to thank my co-hosts, including uh, Haley Morris, Cressa, Jim Morgan, People Stretch Solutions, Joe Alpapop Potomac Companies, Chris Sutton, Bean Kenny, Sterling Neblett. Centurion Wealth Management, Gabe Muller, Muller Consulting, and Katie Brewer for giving me a hand structuring the questions. Hope you're providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn about our executive leaders. Thank you for joining us today and have a nice day. Bye-bye.